Welcome to our audience. 20, this is 21st Century Saints. We are a podcast and live stream series for members uh, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, those affiliated with us, um, those who are adjacent to the church here in the UK and around the world. Um, we've talked about some pretty serious stuff over this past several months. Um, we have talked about some of the bigger issues. And during this whole process, we've specifically referred to our reasons for doing this. Um, Alana, you had mentioned uh, just the other night, you know, you'd, you'd spoken just the other night, and I think it's important to revisit this. Um, why is the issue of um, child safeguarding and protecting the vulnerable and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints so important to you? Um, well, it all goes back to being a survivor myself. Um, obviously, as I always make sure people know, my abuser was not a member of the church. Um, but obviously, having that happen to myself, I need to be clear that I can see that everything is being done in every organisation, not even just the Church of Jesus Christ, like anywhere that my child might be, that everything's in place to keep her safe from that happening to her because people think it, it won't happen to them till it does. Um, you know, that it happens everywhere. You know, school teachers, GPs, dentists, you know, it, it's it's worldwide. So, but obviously, we're, I'm specifically concentrating on something that's been a part of my life, and that's the church. And so I, I need them to be doing better to, to safeguard children and vulnerable. As a friend and an ally of a an incredible woman here who has her own survivor tale of childhood sexual abuse, um, we we were having a conversation just uh, just last night, and I think it's really important to bring this up because we're going to be sharing um, a, a specific. Um, news report today. But before I do that, I want to just quickly mention that, you know, last night Alana and I were having a conversation about, you know, you had talked about your own experience of protecting children in terms of your daughter and your child. And we were talking about those issues last night of, you know, that, that overwhelming need to protect and not to want them to be hurt or upset or sad you know that's what we do as mums anyway you are in a a special kind of position because as a child despite the fact that you know abusers are very very clever at hiding despite mm -hmm. the fact that you know if people maybe had known what to look for 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 whatever reason you know seeing this with with no judgment um you should have been protected that should not have happened to you and so many responsible adults in your life um with no judgment because they are also victims absolutely did not help you um and and their best intentions you know so you, you all th this is a whole family who've been affected by the the trauma of what what you've gone through when you then see your child who is in pain it's almost like um you you're trying to be the 
the person for your child that you wish had been there for you. Um, that is what my focus has sort of tried to be as an ally. What we're trying to do in 21st century saints in this um, safeguarding campaign, we've done this so quickly and so suddenly, do you know, we haven't even let Sarah Elizabeth know that we're going live. She's on holiday. <laughs> She's in a field in the middle of nowhere. Um, but we, she is 100% with us on this. We are trying to build the kind of safe community where our children have the very best standard of safeguarding and not just our children, vulnerable adults, the elderly, uh, those with, uh, with special needs, the LGBTQ community. If you're in a vulnerable group, we need to do the very best we can to look after you. Okay, with that being said, if you've been a long-time viewer of the show, you know that over the past many months, we have not only been talking about this subject, but we've been trying to create a space where people who have had or who will in the future experience any kind of abuse anywhere, but specifically within the Latter-day Saint community, where they will be able to safely tell their stories. One of the many stories of alleged abuse within Latter-day Saint communities has been documented. And just to stress, there are many, many stories of abuse. So, so many. Um, we would refer you to um, Protect the Children. We would refer you to Mormon Stories. We would, uh, you know... We have so so many, we've been contact, contacted by so many people. Um, we have a problem in our church. But yeah, over this past few days, the media here in Scotland have been covering the Scottish child abuse inquiry. And the media have reported on testimonies given there. Now, this is a, an inquiry into, as it says, specifically um, abuse within the care system um, for children. Things are sort of being looked at from a historic perspective. Um, witnesses are coming forward to share their witness testimonies. It's um, it, The proceedings are incredible. And I have to say, for, we've been keeping such a close eye on, on the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry that we just want to applaud the, the work that you are doing is incredible. And um, I believe it's the chair, um, Lady Smith. Um, Lady Smith. We love and appreciate you for the work that you do. Thank you so much. Um, it's our hope that there will be some kind of systemic change and we look forward to seeing what the recommendations are as a result of the inquiry. So um, long-time viewers of the show will know that we have been aware of this case um, and that we have alluded to alluded to it we've you know we've we've alluded to the previous trial which is related to this case we've we've done that for a very long period of time now and we felt it was best to do it in that way without being specific um 
despite having you know the, the need to talk about the issues that were raised we are concerned with safeguarding um what we're going to do is we're going to just sort of take a wee moment just to explain why abuse plays out in a uniquely Mormon way. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to get Alana to read one of the many newspaper articles. And basically, it's just so that you all, as their audience who've been with us for a really long time, can see some of the things that are prompting us to do this really important work. We want to highlight the great work that's been done in the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry and honour those who are speaking in it. Um, even though it's painful, we as a community cannot look the other way. Um, I, I tell you what, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come back and revisit the specific Mormonism uh part of this maybe Alana we can just get you to just go straight to the article if that's okay okay <clears throat> so it says foster um, sorry Alana can I just get you just to what would you let our audience know where what's the the source oh, yeah, article yeah. so this is the independent uh, newspaper article as I say there are there are many many articles out there um I can point you to them yeah um, we'll maybe put those up in the show notes so this is foster carer gave children soap to lick as punishment for lying, inquiry told. Avril Campbell told the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry that she denied being cruel to a boy she looked after between 1976 and 1981. Um, a woman accused of abusing a foster child has admitted making him lick soap, but said she only used the belt as punishment four times before she decided to stop. Avril Campbell and her husband, Dennis, looked after Christopher Scott between April 1976 and February 1981. And Mr Scott had previously told the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry of his alleged ordeal in their care, which he said included harsh punishments, humiliation and regular beatings. Um, can I just interrupt just for one moment? So what we want to make super clear at this stage is that... Um, the parents in this case are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the these are allegations. Um, it's going to go on at the end of the article to tell you what the result of, because a criminal trial did take place, the result of um, that criminal trial, um, no one was found guilty, but we, we're going to see a little bit more about that. But I think it's super important to highlight First of all, we're making it really clear that these are allegations. And second of all, um, this young, I don't know, young young man, I'm assuming, I suppose he's probably the same age as us. Um, Christopher Scott, we've never met Christopher, so I don't know a huge amount, you know, he's waived his anonymity. Um, before you read the rest of the article, Alana, do you, do you mind me asking... As, as someone who has, so we we don't need you to, we, we're not asking our audience to stand as judge and jury here because we have legal systems in place who do that. So, you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But when you first started talking, first of all, to your family about the fact that you had been abused, 
Can you tell me what that's like just speaking to, you know, a small, like the group of people who are there and it's their job to love you? Um, it was still very difficult. I mean, the first family member who found out was my dad. And I think it's one of the hardest things ever. You know, you still have that. Even as an adult telling my story, um, you still have that feeling of not being believed, that shame, that guilt that comes from it, you know, and even and I will say like at that point I had fallen out with my family like I wasn't speaking so again you always think do they think this is just a play for me to try and get back in their good books you know all these things but it's really difficult um you know for I, I don't know it's it's so hard sometimes for me to put into words like just all the mixed feelings that you go through and I mean obviously I, I have a wonderful family and, and I was believed and and um I was helped to a degree um, at that point. I don't think at that point I was ready to deal with it face on. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it was difficult. It was. And difficult. then, so then, do you, now, when would it have been when we first started our show in one of those early podcasts? You were very, very clear. I am ready to talk about this publicly. Um, to have your name publicly attached to you've been abused. Um, how how was that for you? Um, again, there are, there is a slight fear there of how people might change towards you. Um, you know, there's that fear of people, um, maybe being more careful with their children around me. You know, there's all these things go through your head because. Not that it happens with every person who's abused, but many people who are abused can go on to be abusers themselves. And I can understand as a parent have that having that concern. Um, but I just felt it was part of my healing, part of my healing journey was to tell my story. Um, I feel like I had to be mm. public about it. Um, is it I guess like although I had told someone before, like I think again there was still a lot of that shame and guilt throughout my life. Um of it being my fault or I must have allowed it or all these things that I used to feel so I think part of that closure for me was to just say it out loud to have people know and and it's not just about having people know and I think it's the main thing for me is to let people okay to know that it's okay to speak out that it's it's not your shame it's not your guilt to carry it's nothing that you should be ashamed of because Mm. this was done to you you didn't choose this and so I think it's it's removing that kind of stigma that almost goes along with mental health, abuse, all these things, is to realise that it's okay to tell your story. This is going to be a harder question for you to answer, right? I, you know, because we have we have conversations all the time, so I, I know the stuff that you kind of you know struggle with a little bit more. And also want to say thank you so much to both of our families and our audiences, you, you know, our, our audience who, uh, with zero notice, we've jumped on, told all the kids to be quiet. This is important. Aye, that's, that was <laughs> just so because I don't think she realised yeah. that I was live, and I could hear her through my headphones in the background, like we need to be quiet. So she's all good. She's all good. Um, what I, and I know this could be difficult, so I'm here if you you need, um, I, I'm here if you need my support to just you know s- sit with you in that space. But um, are you able to? What I'm going to do is while Alan is just are, are you yeah while Alan is just um just dealing with Daisy for a little second. What I'm going to do is just quickly mention 
the specific Mormonism in this case then. You see, when abuse takes place in a church context, reporting of abuse, it, it plays out in a very Mormon way. Now, in Alana's case, uh, specifically, it wasn't a church member or a sort of church situation. So we, Alana didn't have the same dynamics that we hear reported from many, many people. And like I say, I want you to totally forget the the fact that we have people who have been accused and people who've come forward and made up allegations. We don't need you to, to sort of decide which side you're on. Um, we're asking you to hold that. What we're asking you to do is to look at the broader context. When abuse is reported within the Mormon community, there are unique power dynamics. People who are called of God, who can make decisions that come with the expectation that others are going to follow their leadership. Um, these are the people who get to make decisions. These are the people who have, you know, some people have types of power and social capital that vulnerable people don't. And we have a very strong code of silence in the church. And, you know, what we've seen in this case, here in the United Kingdom, especially around this case, which has not only told us to avoid, you know, in the church, we avoid talking about things that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, anything that makes us feel bad or uncomfortable, we've been taught in many ways to associate those feelings with with Satan or with, um, you know, some kind of disgruntlement or dissatisfaction. We're not very good at sitting in discomfort. And so that's what that's the reason why we're having this conversation right now. That's this is why we're talking publicly about this case. And this case specifically, where people have taken sides. Uh Alana, can while before we go back to, to read the article, I want to just follow up with you about the question that I wanted to ask. What is the price that you pay or that you paid or still pay for speaking out about your abuse? Well, I guess the the main one for me is the re is that is that the right word? Retraumatization. Yeah. Is that the word? Like having me relive it every time I speak it. Um I mean I'm in a much healthier place now than I used to be. Um like where I couldn't speak about it and I wouldn't speak about it necessarily. Um but yeah, I think just having to relive it and it kind of almost becomes real again in that instant of having to speak about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I so this is where, as your your friends, you know, I can step in. <laughs> yeah, you you pay a you pay a huge price, and, and I, because I think that's it's awesome because that's at the root of it, obviously. It's, it's going through that every time you're speaking about it, as you're reliving it, you're constantly in a cycle of fear, shame, will I be believed? Um, what you know, will people judge me? All of those things that a, that a victim went through in those first instances, you relive it again every time. And the toll that that takes on a human being, no matter how well adjusted you are, is 
immeasurable. And so, you know, we were making sort of, you know, we, we were joking around it the other night, but Alana hasn't slept properly in a very long time. Um because this is so important. And so we're having all of these conversations in the background to make sure that Alana's mental health is looked after, to make sure that, you know, is is this the right time? Is this is this moment the best the best way for you to do that? Now Alana's very insistent that um there's a whole load of things going on with your sleep patterns and that this is indeed a helpful thing. We just just know we continue to work on it. But you know, Definitely the days after we have conversations like this the following day, you know, th there's there's a huge difference in your energy levels. You're more drained. You're more oh, you go from energized to yeah, yeah. Yesterday, I was out the game it's the whole day. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, because it, it going from the high of the petition launch and everything that we're doing there to, so, you know, victims, yeah. survivors are pay an ongoing price that I can't even begin you know, I I can, you know, see some observations as a friend with Alana, but I can't even begin to understand what that lived experience is like. So, yeah. When members of the church read this story and immediately pick a side, I want you to remember the people in the community who either haven't picked a side who may be involved directly or indirectly in the case, but also who have not yet come forward to tell their stories. So I, I want you to hold space for that while we talk about this really hard thing. And I know members of the church in Scotland, I know how tough this is. These are our people. Everyone involved in this case, these are our people. But we need to talk. Okay, Alana, would you continue then with the article, please? Yeah, absolutely. On Wednesday, Mrs Campbell told the Edinburgh-based inquiry she did use the belt, but only four times, and once gave soap to him as a punishment. I used to smack their hands. I used to smack their bottoms. When we moved to Octor House, I tried the belt because I knew they used it at school, she said. She denied ever using the buckle in her punishments. The first two times I used the belt, it was just rubbish, she told Lady Smith, and added she had never seen it done before. The third time I did it, it was all right, and the fourth time I thought, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mrs Campbell told Ruth NSQC, the inquiry senior counsel, that she never slapped or punched Mr Scott. I was a nurse. I was careful about smacking, she said. Yep. I, okay. Please keep going. Yep. Um, she told Lady Smith she gave her three oldest children, including Mr Scott, a taste of soap, but insisted she did not force them to try it. I gave it to them and they just licked it so they knew what it tasted like, she told the inquiry. It was to stop them telling lies. I don't think it's good for children to tell lies. When challenged, she insisted they were, a, they were a good age by this time. We heard it from other people. It was not my idea. It was quite a common punishment. I tried it once because I knew it happened. And she told chairwoman Lady Smith, I'm surprised you've not heard of it. I wouldn't have thought of it myself. Mr Scott has said she forced him to face the wall. 
which she denied to the inquiry and said it was not true. He was served with a previous meal if he did not eat it. Mr Scott, who has waived his right to... You know, I never say this word. I know anonymity. No. <laughs> you say it, please. Anonymity. But can I just say, we have spent... <laughs> I, I normally don't let her off the hook with stuff like this. Yes. Um, okay, I just can't seem to say that word at Yeah, all. he's waived his right to anonymity. That's the word. Had previously told the inquiry he was made to go outside naked. Mrs Campbell said she didn't put him outside, he went outside himself. He used to come up with some unusual ideas, she said. During her evidence, she suggested Mr Scott was after money. That's the only thing I can think. The only thing worthwhile I can see why he would say these things, she said. We thought we were going to be helping him. Mr Campbell was asked about Mr Scott's claims. He was punished for wetting the bed and described it as a heinous lie when asked if the foster child's face was ever put into the damp bed sheets. She really was a good mother and a good foster mother and those are just lies, he told the inquiry. He told Miss Innes he regretted using the belt but it was a rare occurrence and told the inquiry it wasn't excessive and there wasn't any bleeding. We were smackers, he said. It was a different world we lived in then. He denied Mr Scott's claims he was forced to stare at a wall, as well as claims he was forced to miss evening meals and sleep on a stone floor. The inquiry heard of a time when money was left in a bedroom and Mr Scott was encouraged to go and retrieve a nappy. I felt he sensed it. He knew that we were setting him up, he told the court. Before he described a claim, Mr Scott was punished for not taking the money as just another lie. He also told of the time he slapped one of his daughters across the face when she was a teenager, but that he would always regret that and he wept after. After a trial at Dundee Sheriff Court in March, Mr Campbell was found not guilty of two charges he faced. His wife was found not guilty on two charges and a third was not proven. <clears throat> Mr Campbell apologised for coming across a wee bit agitated and a wee bit aggressive during questioning, but said he and his wife had been through more than three years of hell. He said the couple had been cleared by the jury and the inquiry was bringing up rotten, stinking lies told about me and my wife. The inquiry continues at Minton House, West Register Street, Edinburgh. Once again, we any time we've alluded to this case, we have stressed or... You, you know, the, the previous criminal trial, we have stressed that we are not saying that verdict should be overturned or that, you know, we, we have a legal system, it's the best we've got um, to work with at the moment. Flaws and all. Um, we we are not suggesting that anyone should be doubting, casting doubt on what the outcome of the criminal trial was. But I do want to... I do want to um, make this clear because I think it's it's important to the case. We have been contacted by a couple of people who were actually at the previous trial. Um, and our understanding is that actually there were two counts of the not proven verdict being used for Avril Campbell. Now, I am going to stress that's information that we've received from 
from people who were there if we, we're going to seek to have that cleared up but we have been told that it's actually two not proven verdicts now we're going to again speak about that not proven verdict because it's a uniquely Scottish verdict um to in in the Scottish legal system we have three possible verdicts so guilt or innocence you know you're you're not innocent until you're proven guilty in Scotland. There are three verdicts which are guilty, not guilty, and the third is not proven. Now, that is an awful verdict. It gives neither satisfaction to the victim, the, the person who's making the allegations, and it gives no satisfaction to the accused because you have neither been fully acquitted nor have you been fully um exonerated uh, sorry nor have you been nor have you been uh, fully condemned either it's it's this sort of there's not any satisfaction or what feels like justice for anyone in this situation so for everyone involved it's it's just it's horrific and there is currently a review um and to hopefully we can get rid of the the not proven verdict um at some point in the future for many years this has been an ongoing an ongoing issue um i with no reference to the case, the not proven verdict is a very controversial verdict. Um, naturally, the nature of the the not proven verdict, um, it's often applied where there, um, where an evidence threshold isn't quite met, where um, things like sexual assault trials and historic abuse trials, things like that, it can often be used then. Um, and it's just it's just awful awful for everybody involved so yeah our, our thoughts really are with everyone um i don't think we would be doing our jobs if we especially as as campaigners and safeguarding if we didn't address two specific issues that that come from this and can i say these are the conversations that my hope is that members of the church would be able to have sorry three specific issues okay let's talk first of all first of all about the church members um and people who have disaffiliated from the church or people who have never been in the church people are invested in the lives of everyone involved in this case everyone really strong feelings people who who love and support and care very much have loved and served with for years you all have such strong feelings about this and this is so so distressing and and we know that but these are the strong feelings that you have that lead to silencing and I'm so so sorry that you all have to go through this I am so so sorry <clears throat> that that this is happening but we need to talk about it because people what happens so let's let's just we we mentioned this before in our podcast when the original trial came up the ward fasted for the for the accused now, I don't care where you stand or, or, or how, if you felt that you have to show support for um, the accused or for the victims, I don't care who you are, but that, that is not okay. 
Now, if you have personal beliefs around that, that's entirely your call. That is your choice. But to gather together as a community, when I'm really sorry, but you don't know what the hell happened. You were not in the rooms. You were not in the family. You were not in the situations. And you know what? A lot of the times, now I'm not saying this in a specific case. Let me just make that super, super clear. The Arizona case saw a situation where everybody actually on some level was aware that knew there was something not quite right, but banded together as a community anyway. And that's the toxicity that I'm talking about is the banding together as a community because we see an attack on people as an attack against the church or an attack against, um, you know, a, 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 an abuse situation as an attack against the church or against, you know, the, the specific people that we love. Um, so we we have to be talking. We have to be brave. We have to have these conversations. Um, okay. I think I think Jane just what I'm thinking, and again, I'm not alluding to to these people because I don't know them and I can't make comment about them and the type of people that they were. But you know, I, I've reiterated time and time again that my abuser was known to many family members, but not for a minute did they think he was that type of person. You know, he seemed wonderful. He seemed fun, happy, loving. You know. And it, it's a true saying, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. You know, even people in domestic violent relationships, these these people, whether it be a man or a woman who's doing the abuse, they come across as lovely, they come across to the outside world as wonderful people. You know, and that that's why I'm just saying that nobody knows, and I said this before, no one knows you weren't there, you don't know what happened. So we are not there to make judgment on what happened in that yeah, home because yeah. we can't, because we weren't there. Where's and that's the what the jury... It's, yeah. it's trying to support everyone. If you want to individually do a fast for someone, that's different. But when you do it as a community, where does that leave the victims in all this? To see that their whole community is turning their back on them? Or, you know, like, what if my whole family had turned against me? You know, you looked at it from that progress, it would have been a horrible, horrible thing. And, do you know, and this is what I really want you know, people to, to hear is that as a survivor, you are experiencing that. That could have been my family. That could be my family so easily. And what if on some level that's what's happening? You know, all of these things are going through your head. Now, again, the, so there is a, there's a judge and jury whose job it is to do that. That Absolutely. is not our job. Um, we stress these are allegations and we stress that, you know, this criminal trial actually happened. But what you all did was to, you know, go onto social media, start justifying why the, the worst things I think survivors can hear. This couldn't happen. This couldn't happen. No, th th these are... Let me tell you, this can happen in every community, every community, and it happens in ours. And I'm not, again, I'm not casting any doubt on, on the safety of a verdict that was passed. This is not okay. So we need to talk urgently about the kind of things that are that are brought up as a result of, of this. Um, and it's less now about 
Mormonism, there is still a huge element of us justifying decisions that are being made within the community. But we, we need to talk about what some of this looked like. And, I, and I'm so sorry we didn't put any trigger warnings out at the beginning of this episode. We, we, should, have, we should have done that. Okay. A child was alleging that they were made to eat soap, um, stand against a wall, eat meals uh, that were had been uneaten from the previous meal. We know things like that happened. We have experienced many and many instances ourselves in our own homes. Um, absolutely, this was a very normalised thing. Except the scope of the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry isn't... It's when these things are taken to a level of abuse. So if a child is being made to stand against a wall or go to the room or, you know, you're, you're wasting food, I can reheat it for you later, or there's some form even of corporal punishment being used, there were no laws against that at that time, although certainly the scope of this inquiry is should there have been, you know, was corporal punishment um, appropriate for a child who was being looked after? You're paid to be a foster carer. Is it, is it appropriate in that situation? Um, let's talk first about corporal punishment before we move on to the, the deeply worrying psychological abuse Um issues that are raised by these by the reporting here um <laughs> to see people in the comments it, it's one thing for someone to stand up uh you know and in, in a in a court and just deny that that any any firm punishment was ever was ever used like you know reading a meal <laughs> okay if if that's if that's if that's where you're, I just, I think what I'm, what I'm not, what I'm really struggling to get my head around here is people online who are using this as an opportunity to justify hitting children with belts and using terms like we are too soft on children these days. This is actually a really good standard of punishment to hit your child with a belt. Um, the common phrase, it didn't do me any harm. Oh my goodness, let me tell you, yes, it did. Yes, it did. If you were assaulted by using a belt and it was an adult who did that to you, another child who did that to you, if you were humiliated and assaulted in that way, that is harm and that's not okay. That is not okay. Um safeguarding and reporting on abuse is about breaking those cycles of toxic behavior where people who are who have experienced that type of abuse and hitting you don't have to justify it. it it's it's helping you to recognize that it's okay again how can someone in this community say i was being hit with belts when you you, when, when you're making it really clear that that's acceptable 
Um, Alana, thoughts on corporal punishment? We, I know we've spoken about this before, but mm. I, I, it's important to bring it up again in relation to this case. Well, I, I think just a lot of what you said, you know, we know years ago that it was used by parents, but that's not to say that it makes it okay um, just because it was the done thing. Um, and also nowadays, no, I don't agree with it. It is abusive. It, it doesn't change anything. Like, I don't know why people think that beating your children with whether it be your hand or a belt or a wooden spoon or a whatever you choose is going to change those behaviours. You know, probably if we were to analyse a child's behaviours years ago with getting punished by the belt or smacking, the parents probably looking back and say, well, it didn't change anything. They, they still continued to behave that way because they're children and they're learning and they're, they're growing and they're learning by their wrongdoings. Isn't it better to teach a child and uplift them and teach them how to change it rather than beating the crap out of them or, you know, punishing them by your get no dinner or, you know, all these different things that, that possibly were given out years ago. Yeah, yeah. To, to praise them and find ways to help them to learn from their behaviour, but they still know they've done wrong and that that behaviour is not acceptable. There are ways to go about that. I'm not a professional. Yeah. There probably are far better ways, but beating is not the answer, in my opinion. And well, we've learned we've learned better ways as a society. We've we've learned better ways. <clears throat> um, except, <laughs> and again, this is this is still on the same subject of of corporal punishment, but it's where we're now starting to intersect with with things being a little bit more sinister. So what we what we're going to do? Not only are we going to link to all of these articles. Uh, or some of these articles, it's you know they're all publicly available. This is why we're we're speaking about it. This is public records. Um, not only not only the the reporting and the trial, but the transcripts of the testimonies that are given each day are all publicly going to be put on the website. They're sort of running a few weeks behind, so we'll be able to publicly link to the testimony of of Christopher. Um, what we are able to, to sort of say from the testimony that has been given, um, what what we have been, what's been passed to us as um, people who are reporting on the case by people who were, you know, reporters who were there present. Um, <sighs> these weren't allegations of someone saying, someone gave me a meal to eat later or I was asked to go and stand against the wall. These were allegations. You don't go to the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry because your parents were, were disciplining you or smacking you. You know, the, the, there is a, a huge, huge scope. And these are they are dealing with extreme cases, very extreme cases. And it wasn't a case of... Um, the accusation, the initial, let's just stress again, the allegation is that this wasn't, um, you know, have some soap to lick. This was being made on more than one occasion, you know, to to eat soap. Um, that That's my understanding. And again, the transcripts are going to be out for the specifics of the allegations that were made. And again, so, even myself, I know that that was something, I mean, I... I don't think I ever had to do that, but I know that years ago it was a common used punishment for people. Mouth out was, with soap. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I've heard of it, but I've never known anyone who um 
Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I think the issue that I've got, you know, is that someone is saying publicly to the chair of the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry, I don't think it's good to tell lies, but, you know, so that's why we, you know, go like soap. <laughs> Because that's good. Uh, you, you know, do we think it's good to make children lick soap? But again, this is something that, again, I'm not talking directly no. about this. As, as I heard stories growing up of that being a thing, yeah. you know, from my parents, etc. I used to think, like, because, again, it was not just for lies, like, if you used a cuss word, you know, you would get your mouth washed out with soap and things like that if you swore. Yeah. And I just think, so what in the minds of the adults who are doing that, and I'm talking generally here, I just like to stress that, I'm not talking about this specific case, what do you think that washing a child's mouth out with soap achieves? Like, what about that action stops them from saying, yeah, it tastes pretty disgusting, but kids will forget eventually about that taste, that soapiness in their mouth? I just, I would love to um... know that... The analysis, what was going on in their brain to think that that was going to change that behaviour? Yeah, and and just to push back a little bit, um, yeah, the, the thing is, I don't think they ever would forget because it's not the as much the, the taste of the soap would be would be certainly associated with it, with it, but you know, it's the humiliation. The yeah, I don't mean that they don't. No, I no, I, say I they forget because I didn't mean that, but I just mean you know, like yeah. It doesn't stop the behaviour. I, I yeah, know that, that it's always tainted with that, uh -huh. but it doesn't generally stop the behaviour by doing things like yeah. that. And we like, and we know better. I, you know what I would, I guess what I would really have loved to see, and if this had just been a, you know, a, a reported article on corporal punishment, I just would have the expectation that as church members, who again ha have, you know, the the these alleged accusations you know this is this is their own testimony but i would love for his church members to have said we use corporal punishment and that was deeply wrong and we should not have done that and you know just to see sort of i mean you know what the the transcripts are still to be are still to be released uh, maybe maybe they apologized all the way through but my understanding from the reporting is that um they were very frustrated and angry and aggressive and as you know as it's mentioned in the end of the article um you know there, there was a lot of sort of very what what was the phrase used? you got a wee bit what you got a wee bit aggressive aggressive, aggressive or agitated agitated um yeah okay so not only have we got forms of corporal punishment that are you know i don't even know if they, i was going to say from the stone age i don't i don't even know if that's a, a thing but certainly very archaic forms of corporal punishment um can we talk about that nappy thing Again, okay. I find that very, very disturbing. That shall we, you think shall we so... revisit what is said in the article yeah, about it? Yeah. Because this is the part for me that that worries me most. Um. So just to sort of make clear, allegations are being made by Christopher about these things that happen, and what is being reported on right now is the allegation but the 
the accused's response to those allegations. Okay. Do you want to read that? Are you with us? Have we I'm just, just lost Alana? No, no, I'm just, <laughs> okay. to, I'm just trying to find it because there's so much in the article. I'm trying to find the right bit. Okay, so. Um, let me just, let me just find. Okay. Oh, here we go. Um, the inquiry heard of a time when money was left in a bedroom and Mr Scott was encouraged to go and retrieve a nappy. I felt he sensed it. He knew that we were setting him up. He told the court before he described a claim, Mr Scott was punished for not taking the money as just another lie. Alana, I don't know. Could you attempt to <laughs> explain what the hell that is well he's he's setting up a child to see whether they're going to steal the money and hiding and so he he's to see he's if he can a, catch him so christopher tells the abuse inquiry that this happened they're being asked about that and they're saying <laughs> they're saying yeah, we so when that happened, he knew we were setting him up. So he so, didn't take so it. You were, let's just clarify this. You were setting up this child to see if he was going to steal money. Mm -hmm. So you send him in. You're saying, can you go into this room to go? Well, so what would that have been? Can you go into this room to go and get an app where the dad is apparently hiding? Yeah, um, I think it said that in another article, didn't it? Yeah, it, it does. I think it did. I don't it think says. it mentioned. Does it mention? It yeah, I'm sure it mentions it in another one because I didn't just make that up like that. So <laughs> <made it in my. laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. It is it is reported in. So we've also got the Daily Mail. After. We could go look it it's up. Quite a few, you know what? Yeah. yeah um, so this this child, this wee boy is with foster carers who believe he's going to believe he's stealing. And so they send him in and try to catch him in the act of stealing money, which it's sort of reported in, you know, the other articles, which he didn't do. He brings back the nappy and he gets into trouble because it was because he knew they were there. Uh, you know what? I really want to. I really want to find this. I tell you what. While I while I find some more clarity, can you could you maybe speak about the sending a child outside um, as a punishment? It's so hard because, again, you know, as a parent myself, I can't imagine ever humiliating my child in that way. Um, you know, now, as I keep saying, we know this is a an alleged thing, you know. Um, but to think to put your child outside naked to stand in the cold as a form of punishment, again, the damage, the long-lasting damage that that could cause, the humiliation, you know. Uh, and th this isn't, a, you know, go out, go outside, <laughs> go, go exercise. You know, this was, you've been sitting outside in the cold. Um you know that so the Daily Mail article is talking about sleeping on a stone floor. Uh, so the, these are these are Christopher's claims. Uh, he was forced to miss evening meals, sleep on a stone floor, 
the inquiry heard of a time when money was left in a bedroom and Mr. Scott was encouraged to go and retrieve a nappy. I felt he sensed it. He knew that we were setting him up. He told the court before he described a claim Mr. Scott was punished for not taking the money as just another lie. Okay, so Christopher claimed that he was punished for, for, for not taking not the money. Taking they the money. set him up to take the money and because he didn't, he was then still punished. So basically they were wanting to punish him regardless. So, yeah, so yeah, and so that's Christopher's claim. But so, okay, the again, in, in court, you know, this this was, um, you know, the... the <laughs> These are allegations, okay? Yep. Yep, but the part that, that they are engaging with publicly, the part that they are acknowledging is, yeah, we were setting up this child. Go and get this while we hide to see if you take this money. I mean, that is... And I think that, for me, along with... Along with the extreme nature of what things... Are being alleged that it sort of un it sort of gives you an insight into the extreme psychological um abuse that's happening, not just of these physical things like physically hitting, physically, um, you know, the soap thing, the going out. I mean, those are awful, awful things, but there's a whole other extremely traumatic layer there. And that's what that's what is very, very clear in Christopher's you know, and and his testimony, there is huge psychological impact on that, uh, on, yeah, on his life um, as a result of what his experiences were, and, you know, and to live with that at the time as a child in care who has been placed there with, with a family who are supposed to love. I'm going to bring the Mormonism back here and you juxtapose that with we go to church and we we talk about love and family and it's this idea of this ideal of safety and love and security and structure and a home that hasn't you know you, your allegations show that that is not been your experience um I think what horrifies me just in general about, you know, you hear these stories of kids in the, the system all over. And, and I think, you know, you are being paid to look after these children who have come probably from broken homes, horrific, you know, things that, you know, have possibly happened to them already. And you're supposed to be there to help them to work through those issues and help them to feel loved and wanted and and again, I'm just talking generally, you hear so many stories, you know, I've read so many stories of the US and around the world and things of of foster carers being just the same mm. type of family that they came from. And it's just horrific, you know, I think. I know, like, I hear stories, you know, previously from stories that I've read, you know, that it's more been about the money for them and things like that, which is sad because you should go into this because you want to help that child. And you know, when you become a foster carer, that there's going to be issues... That there's going to be possibly problems with behaviours and things. And again, why would you not want to try and help manage those behaviours rather than punish them? Can we mention money as a motivation? I really want to talk about that for a second. Um, and I didn't anticipate doing this, but again, because we've had access to sort of the media reporting and I mean, we we have done so much background work understanding this case over a long, long period of time. 
So we, you know, we are working with public records. We are working with um, transcripts. We are, um, oh my goodness, I just, I, so in the initial case, money was mentioned as a possible motivation and it was mentioned again in some of the reporting as a possible motivation for this man waiving his anonymity um, and and making these allegations in the first place, I think I think even if he hadn't waived his anonymity, this you know this was certainly something that had come up in the the previous case. But here's here's what I'm totally here's what I'm totally confused about. We we are able to <laughs> the records show that the time when the first allegations were made to the police were so long ago. Um, that that money wasn't even mentioned. Now, I, I'm just I'm just very very confused about how Alana. You know what? This this is where this is a job for you. Tell me, please tell me. Is there any? Could there be any motivation for you? And what you've been through to have um, any kind of compensation claim or to be seeking money or from whether it's the courts, the system, the parents themselves? No, because no amount of money is going to change what happened to me. No amount of money is going to take my pain away that I live with every day. Um, I mean, that's just for me. Some people are motivated by money, but I don't think in this instance any amount of money would benefit anyone because it it doesn't change what, you know, people who have been through abuse, whether it be physical, mental, sexual. Yeah, money might get you a few nice things or allow you to go nice places, but does it stop those memories or the, yeah. the, the mental harm or torture that you've been through to go away? Absolutely not. So in my opinion, no, money sh money isn't a motivation. Well, for, for you, for you, so, yeah, so like I'm thinking specifically about, about you and your case and uh, this is, people, this is why we need to be talking about these things. This, this is the reason why we have to talk about this in the church because so many people um, would totally accept that. Now, here's the thing. Compensation um, and claims and restitution and things like that um, are often part of the, the legal system or civil cases. It's really important to mention <laughs> that these awards... Um, financially happen because trauma has happened and because people are living with the results of abuse and trauma and may need um, to put things and systems into place to help them to cope with that. Now, you're, <laughs> oh my goodness, I just find this so, so traumatic to even have to, to mention because <sighs> um. We have a very, very dear friend who watches our show. Who is, um, we, we, um, you know, I'm sure she she wouldn't mind us saying this, but she has on many occasions had to try to fight to receive emergency, urgent psychological support, and 
the waiting lists, the the mental health care system in this country is appalling. It's it's under resourced. It's to try to get emergency support is awful. Never mind ongoing support. And how many occasions, Alana, did you have to, you know, did you get to go and support her in trying to receive emergency medical treatment? Um, we have close, close people who have um, displayed suicidal ideation, who have made um, attempts of suicide and you know, of people who have completed suicide because of the traumas that they have faced. Their lives are not <laughs> wonderful and glorious and healed and here's some money to help you go for a, you know, go buy a new kitchen. There are reasons why compensatory claims happen. Um, Absolutely. The the impact on your work life, the impact on your education, the impact on your life chances, the impact on your mental health, your physical health. Oh my goodness. How dare anyone bring money into these situations as a motivation? Don't you do that? Because when you do that, what you do is you negate. And and this is my whole point about why these conversations are, are important because you don't know who is listening because the person that you're talking to who is seeing and hearing what you're saying who may have received you know, co you know, compensation themselves, who who may be thinking about this process, who may who may be too afraid to speak out. You are telling them that that is what you believe. It, it's easier, it's more comfortable for you to believe a sinister motivation than it is for you to deal with this, this situation. The children in foster care already have so many things that in many ways, disadvantage and hinder them in, in life. That's why so much resources is put into making sure that their well-being is looked after and that they have as many supports. Now, it's not it's not efficient, it's not effective, it's not good enough, we need to do better. But when a child is not only dealing with the effects of having been in care, and having been looked after and having to cope with their own family trauma and then has moved into a new place where they are not being safe, then don't you bloody bring money into this. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. So again, this is not about picking sides, which we have seen happen to a level where even, I mean, do you remember, Alana, Sam Young had said, I have never seen anything like this before. If you have decided who you believe, you know what, we are not here to change minds. We are here to have conversations. We can honestly say, because a conversation happened through the through the court um, and legal and justice system, we're able to say, okay, we've got we've got a set of parents here who were responding to allegations. They were talking about how they hit their children with belts. 
We can have a conversation about how it's really bad to hit your child with a belt. We can talk about, you know, okay, you're talking about doing some things to try and catch this child who's possibly who you believe is stealing and you're going to these really unusual methods to try and do that. Okay, that that's bringing up issues of psychological um, abuse, you know, for, for us to talk about that. We have to have these conversations about what's not okay because then what happens is every single person involved in this case has pitched up at some point at church on a Sunday and no one is recognizing um, that there is some kind of trauma happening there. Now, that is not saying that, you know, the the, the alleged accused, I'm, I'm not saying they were showing up at church every week having abused their children. There are other people who get to, you know, make make comment on that. But what we do know is that people do turn up at church every week despite having abused their children. Let me tell you, they're in our ward. They are in our stake. They are throughout our country. They are throughout the whole world, and we are hearing about it. In addition to that, there are children who, you know, in, in the care system, children in this process who are being traumatized. So not only can we, do we struggle to recognize abusers when they are amongst us, because they're our friends, they're the people we serve with, they're the people, they're the people that we love. The people that maybe in a lot of ways are doing good and saving saving lives, they're they're delivering babies, they're they're doing incredible great things in the world, who sometimes also abuse. And that is not okay. While we try to amplify how to recognize what abuse looks like we must use cases like this that make us feel uncomfortable and we must get over ourselves to not be picking sides and decide that someone is out to get the church by making claims or they're out to get individuals by making claims. This is a horrific situation for everybody involved. And what we want to see is the people who are yet to come forward and tell their stories, the entirety of their stories. We're here whenever you're ready. And however you want to do that, if you need us to stand by your side while you do that, then we are here. We are with you. 21st Century Saints stands with victims, all victims and survivors of abuse in all of its forms. We call on our church leaders to do better. We call on our church communities to do better. We expect more from you. Let's do better. And with that, mm. uh, we'll put all of the show notes out. If you have any questions or any comments, we welcome them. If there's anything that you feel that we need to correct on the record, please let us know. But um, in the meantime, we want to do two quick shout outs. One, will you please 
go sign our petition asking for safeguarding to happen in the church now. You can find that across our social media sites. We're also asking if you are someone, an organisation, a group, an interested party, an influencer, another podcaster, we've got a whole tonne of the gang to sign our open letter to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints asking for safeguarding procedures to be put in place now. We're asking for you to get involved in our campaign by sending letters, by sending emails, uh, by going to speak with your elected officials, your bishops, your state presidents, your area authorities. Uh, we have template letters across the website asking for background checks, um, asking that we raise our standards. It all starts with you in this community. We're doing the work, um, trying to work with leaders and elected officials. We're doing the work of trying to have these conversations and offering up here a platform where we can get uncomfortable together. It's over to you guys and we want to know how you get on. Please let us know, please get in touch. We are here to listen. And with that, we wish you a very good rest of your day. We'll see you all soon. Bye.